gentlemen, welcome into the Get Around Podcast. This is episode number 21. We've got a couple of our regular hosts, well, out, and one of them is on the phone. James is out this week, and Brett Summers staying at home, being a kind and loving husband as his wife is suffering from a little bit of the flu, and Brett, you're suffering from a little bit of the flu as well. But uh, thanks for calling in on phone, my man. Hey, no problem. I'm feeling much better. Hopefully the uh, better half does as well soon. Uh, that'll, be, that'll be good. Also in the studio this week, joining the Five Timers Club finally. It took a while, but... Uh, a lot longer than expected. But here he we is. We had to make him work for it. Yes. Oh boy, did I work. But here he is, 7 and fours, Harrison Beebe, one of the premier voices of sports in northern Michigan, and... We're all very excited to have him, and I'm sure you listeners are just teeming with joy. That well, the funny part is we're not even going to talk about movies this week. No, we're not. We no movies. The shows I'm in. No movies at all this week, which is uh, that'll be fun. But still, we're gonna we we got a lot on the show this week. We've got a I've got a one-on-one interview with MHSAA uh, director of broadcast properties and longtime spokesman John Johnson. Uh, that was just myself and him. We'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, we'll also get into the Get Around Hall of Fame, and then we will get into the trifecta as we go over some of the greatest football players of all time after Sunday's Super Bowl. But before we get into all of that, we're going to do kind of a midseason uh, look back, uh, retrospective, I guess you could say, on the girls and boys basketball season so far, and probably one of the most interesting uh, storylines right now, I think, is the girls basketball uh, Lake Michigan Conference competition, and that was kind of thrown for a loop on Friday when Charlevoix came back from an 11-point deficit with 73 seconds left and managed to win that game 50-48. to 48. It Yeah, was, that doesn't happen at a lot of levels, much less the high school level. So. I've never seen that before. Honestly, I've never seen that, whether live uh, or, uh, or in person. Uh, Brett, I think I, I texted you and said what happened and also told you that I had uh, ended up uh, getting there way, way late. Were you surprised when I kind of told you what the hell happened? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's not something you ever expect. Um, Something funny, though, I was telling a buddy of mine out of the area about what happened in that game, and uh, he said, why do you guys say 73 seconds? Why not just say a minute 13? Does it really make it sound cooler to say 73 I don't know. I like I like to vary it up, but we actually go back and forth on it. Like I will use when I when I wrote my story, I used the minute thirteen, and I also threw in seventy three seconds because you got to change it up a little bit. That's how I feel about it when when you're writing, or at least I feel about that. That's why James, instead of using uh, like fourth quarter all the time, likes to throw in the word stanza. Stanza. Yeah, he's a big fan of the word stanza. He's old school. So we can we can make fun of him because he's not here and he's on furlough right now. Not getting any money, but getting that sweet, sweet unemployment check, which would be, which would be nice, since it's about what one third of your actual paycheck, or at least it is in my case, which is always fun. Really hoping those furloughs go away, but that's company policy right now, and there's no reason for me to air my dirty laundry here on here on the, the, here on the podcast. Yes, <laughs> yeah, the big uh, our big boss publisher uh, probably. Uh, well, I know that he always listens to the podcast, so I'm sure he'll love that I bring that up. But so yeah, that kind of that that threw I wouldn't say a wrench into the Lake Michigan Conference, but it certainly made it more interesting because St. Francis and Charlevoix are now tied at six and one in the conference, and 
Harrison, I'll ask you this, and Brett and I talked about it, and James and I have talked about it. Are you kind of surprised at how well St. Francis is doing this year based on the loss of Juliana Phillips? Well, we had talked preseason. It was going to be an adjustment on how they operate, especially with new head coach Tyler Shell coming into the fold as well, taking over for uh, Keith Haskey, legendary coach on the sidelines there. Um, but it, they really just kind of had to adjust to a, a you know, you won't, don't want to use a, a baseball term, but a small ball sense of play where it's very guard and forward driven. But as you can see, I mean, they've adjusted well. They've got a lot of playmakers that are willing to score, willing to handle the ball. Uh, a lot of great passing every time I'm at a Gladiator game. I, I see they're always kind of in sync in that regard. So I, I wasn't there for the very end of the game that you saw to see some of uh, the things go unfortunately wrong for them that ended in that loss. But uh, it seems like, yeah, for us having question marks around how they look this year, uh, especially before Friday, they, they were all good to go. Yeah, Bramer is a very confident, Lauren Bramer is a very confident point guard out there. I've seen her play now a couple of times, and she seems very comfortable. Sarah Chenard has, has put on some height, and she's been very good. Maddie Weirda kind of provides some height inside. Uh, again, it was it was one of those things where I accept, uh, expected them to take a step back. Brett, did you feel that way as well? Yeah, I did. I, I mean, I even though they're still technically in the lead for the conference, you know, I don't know that I would go as far as to say they're as good um, as in a couple years past, but I think they've definitely kept up the level of play, maybe more so than I thought. Um, you know, this was the first matchup between St. Francis and Charlevoix, and way back at the beginning of the season, I guess I kind of would have predicted that Charlevoix would have been, uh, would have had the better chance to be the undefeated team heading into that matchup. Uh, but now that they've got uh, one more game to play between each other, um, plus I think Kalkaska still figures in there somewhere. Um, you know, Blazers aren't quite as deep uh, as they've been in years past, but still have some talented players. And then you've got Elk Rapids, and it's only a two-loss team in the Lake Michigan Conference. So it's uh, it's going to be a fun uh battle down the stretch um, for girls' LMC title. I think one of the bigger surprises uh, in the LMC is Kalkaska sitting at 4-3. and three. I certainly didn't see that happening considering last year that they went 13-1 and one in the conference and tied with St. Francis for the conference title. Well, and they've beaten Charlevoix already this year, too. Right. So, um, you know, they've won some important games, but then they've lost some games that I've unfortunately put them in this situation. But I tell you what, Friday night when I was in Boyne City uh, getting the guys' highlights, I ran into Coach Dalton, and I was the first to tell him, apparently, him and the, and the Blazers, that uh, Charlevoix pulled that upset, and they all had a lot of smiles creep across those faces. So I'll be very interested to see how this affects their play going forward, knowing they have uh, another game closer to potentially get back to a conference title. How much do we think the, the loss of Natalie Reichman plays into Kalkaska uh, sitting at 4-3 and three in the conference? Uh, a loss to Harbor Springs certainly doesn't do them any favors, but she really was a nice compliment to Mackenzie Wilkinson, who we'll get to a little bit later in the Get Around Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean, she was a big loss, but the Lejewski sisters were as well. I mean, the big thing for Kalkaska right now, and I mean, I guess, you know, he, he Coach Dalton feels he's doing it out of necessity, but, um, I mean, they're only playing six girls. They've got, they only regularly play one girl off the bench. So if you run into a team that's got a little more depth or you get into foul trouble, or, uh, it's just, I mean, they, Kalkaska still likes to try to play that press game. And that's hard to do if you're only going to play six players for 32 minutes. What was interesting when I went to the Charlevoix game, again, it started at five thirty, or it was supposed to start at five thirty. It started at 
six. Six-ish, yes. And I forgot that that was the case, even though I had written the schedule and knew that I to be like the case. I feel like we talked about it at breakfast that day, too. Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> to put even more shame on you. Yeah, I don't know how I, how I messed that up. But so I got to the, uh, the ticket table and was like, oh, the, the, the JV game is still going on, all right. And I looked up, fourth quarter, there's a minute 37 left. And I look at the floor and I, I see Rachel Nesberg and then I see Natalie Nesberg and then I see Elise Stuck. And I go, what? Your first thought was, why were they all sent down to JV? And I'm like, what the? Yeah, is this Major League 3 back to the minors? <laughs> and I was like, what the, what the hell is going on? And before I had seen that, I had told the ticker, ticket taker, I said, hey, you should be happy to have me here. I'm 4-0 this year when I've gone and seen Charlevoix, the Charlevoix girls play. And at that point, I don't. she probably knew that they were in the fourth quarter and, and down by that much. But it was really weird because as soon as I walked in and rushed to get the camera ready because I needed to get some art for, for the front page of, of the newspaper, there was a... Leave it to Brendan to try to take all the credit right now. Well, yes, I'm not taking all of the credit. <laughs> what I'm saying is it seems that my presence provides some kind of a good luck charm because I walked in the gym, started taking photos, and that is when the miraculous comeback uh, occurred. Have you guys found yourself as, as a good luck charm to any other team, or do you have sports superstitions, whether it's not when you're cheering on your own team, or, or are you a jinx sometimes? Is there anything that you've kind of found in yourself there? Well, I, I thought that I... Uh, was a good luck, char- uh, good luck charm going to Packers games for a long time. Been going to at least one game every year since I was about ten years old. And over the first ten years, going to ten games, I was ten and zero. Uh, and first time ever going to two games in one season was the 2008 NFC Championship game against the Giants. Trip to the Super Bowl on the line. I'm thinking, all right, I'm ten and zero. Never seen them lose. Packers are better than the Giants. This is going to work out. Well, of course, it didn't, and that ended up being the last game that Brett Favre ever played in the Packers jersey. Uh, Giants we know obviously of. went on to... <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, he could, come, he could come back any time now. Uh, I heard they're going to bring him in to uh, compete with Brett Hundley for the backup spot. That would make, um, that would make but, sense, I guess. One Brett I actually to, heard to he other. wants to start a job in Philadelphia. I heard that's what Favre's been. <laughs> Yeah, knocking off uh, Carson Wentz and the uh, incredible Nick Foles. Disney but. World bound Nick Foles. Yes, he is. Yeah, wh- what a Super Bowl. Yeah, when we're talking about the uh, the greatest football players of yeah, all we'll time, Nick Foles is, is definitely in the in the class uh, of that. Harrison, what about you? Any good luck charms? Any jinxes? Hey, any, like do you Brett. have to s- sit in a certain place? I thought it was funny. I, I interned at Fox Sports Detroit in the summer of 2009, and that was back in kind of the, the middle of this, this good Tiger run here with Miguel Cabrera and Justin Verlander. And uh, I was an intern there, and once or twice a week they had the interns work games, do post-game, do interviews and stuff like that, help, help with uh, feeding video and, and getting the PR stuff. And the Tigers were kind of like Brett. I think they were 9-10-0 with me at Comerica Park that summer. So I was like, okay, something special with me, and why? I doubt they realized that, like you and the Charlevoix connection. But uh, then that came crashing down, and they made a couple bad trades at the trade deadline. And at one, I think they went down five to nothing in the first inning with a, a Jared Washburn trade. For any of you who remember his name when he was traded to the Tigers, yeah, exactly. Jared Washburn. You remember to the, him? Yeah, he was uh, the on the Angels. I think it was Seattle. Uh, Seattle. He was yeah. also on the Angels at mm-hmm. one point. He might have actually played on the White Sox. It sounds. 
I could be Sounds wrong like on a that one. Man. But it yeah. seems like, yeah, he is definitely. So he came over, and he let up five runs in the first inning of his first start, and that was a game I worked. So that's when I knew that streak was over. But, uh, <laughs> hey, you know. Nothing like having healthy egos, huh, gentlemen? Yes. Yeah. Thinking that we were behind these things. Well, one of my favorite ones is back in 1985-1986, the Chicago Bears season when they won the Super Bowl, and they were going for that undefeated season. They were into Week 15 when they played the Miami Dolphins. What my parents did during that run, every single game, I was so I was born in 1984. So 1985, I was 86. I was, you know, about one year to 15 months old at that time. I was born in November of 84. And so they would put me in my Bears, my Chicago Bears onesie and sit me in front of the TV to watch the football game. The only game they didn't do that was the game against Miami, Miami when they lost. And uh, to this day, there are several Bears fans that blame me for that, even though I was a child. But I guess the <laughs> I think the onus a little bit more rests on my parents more than it does on me. But... Again, clearly when it comes to the Chicago Bears and me wearing a onesie, maybe I should get one of those um, for next year. But, again, I'm not much An of adult a, onesie. Yeah, well, well, yeah, I'll get myself a, a White Snuggie? Sox one. A Snuggie? I have a, a, a Slanket. Does anyone have a Slanket? Slanket. Yeah, I, which I think it's, it, well, it's, a sle- it's a blanket with sleeves, which I think is a Snuggie. Snuggie. I actually I have a, I have a Superman Snuggie slash Slanket, uh, which I used to wear all the time in the winter, and I had... Uh, Guinness, big fluffy Guinness slippers, which I were always. Oh, I thought you meant your dog. No. Yeah, I thought you meant your dog too. <laughs> he has a dog named Guinness. Yeah. To go that. along with the slippers, named him after the slippers. So you know, you guys never found yourself a jinx though. So that's good. I don't remember. Well, if I did, I didn't let it bother me that much, and I forgot about it. Yeah, I think we're we're kind of all in that situation. I was gonna say it sounds like this bear situation is why you're traumatized in the NFL to this day. That must have been it. Again. Again, our egos were way too healthy for us to even consider something bad being our fault. Right. Everything good is is credited to us. Everything bad, not our fault. Totally get it. Exactly. Uh, back to basketball a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who are saying, uh, why did you leave basketball? The, I don't know, I think it was good conversation, but whatever. So, yeah, back to basketball a little bit. The other most intriguing conference, I would say, is the Northwest Conference on the boys' side, and it seems like we talk about this every single week. But the the three teams that you've got going right now, Frankfurt, Glen Lake, and Buckley, you've got games in the next couple of weeks that are going to decide this. You've got team, a couple of them playing February 9th, then February 14th, February 22nd. So within the next couple of weeks, this is going to be decided. Is it a possibility that we see a, a three-way tie, that, they're, that they kind of they beat each other in the same way that we saw earlier in the season? It's possible, but I'm hoping that's not how it shakes out. <clears throat> as much as I've loved the competitiveness to this point, um, I want to see one team rise above the rest. I, I just... I don't generally like ties in any case, and uh, I'd prefer one team, regardless of who who it is, to uh, to come out on top of the Northwest Conference. Yeah, it's always interesting to see after each of them has played each other once, you know, what they picked up from that first game. And keep in mind, some of those games, like for Buckley, for instance, they had them both in the same in a forty-eight hour span. So what is having a little extra time, not only to prepare in between these rematches, but then to have all that time since then, these several weeks, to kind of relook at game film and 
tweak some things in practice. I'm curious to see with all of them getting a win and all of them getting a loss. Now what adjusts and then who who really proves to be the, the dominant program in the second half? Because I feel like one of them definitely has that. I'm not saying which one. I'm saying one of the three, whichever one proves to be the one, definitely has that potential. I've just been so impressed by Frankfurt this year. Um, you know, aside from the game against Glen Lake, when I've seen them play, they've uh, they've just been uh, good. Obviously, they probably should have played a lot better than they did against Onekama, but still ended up winning that game by 16 points. So Frankfurt is a team that I've seen the most this year. I think I've seen them four times uh, at this point. Uh, but yeah, they've they've been very impressive. The girls' side is also pretty intriguing because you have an undefeated Kingsley team against Glen Lake, which I believe at this point only has one loss. Am I off on that one? This day, so. No, that's correct. So that it's coming down to those two. But is Kingsley are they a step above Glen Lake? The uh, the game between them a couple Fridays ago indicated as such. Um, but that was at Kingsley. Although that was a home game for Kingsley. Yeah, that was. So it's going to be interesting to see how the dynamics switch when they go into Glen Lake's gym. We know their fan base is, is I mean, hey, they're the lucky ones in this situation. They got they got a team in both the boys and girls races, so they got big games every night in their facility, so they're, they're up for these challenges. And, um, yeah, that'll be definitely interesting to see how those talented girls who were in the state semifinals a year ago you know, show their swagger and, and show their resiliency in, in hosting the Stags and see how bad they want that opportunity to tie those standings. But, Brett, it's just a two-horse race, right? Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that Benzie can't throw a monkey wrench uh, into this race. I do think Glen Lake and Kingsley are better, but, I mean, if you, ha- if you were to have an off night, a, p- a cold shooting night, you know, Benzie has the, has the talent to get it done. And then, you know, outside the uh, Northwest Conference, did want to mention real quick the, the other tight race in the Ski Valley Conference. It's That's just a two-team race, but Gaylord St. Mary uh, undefeated, Bel Air just the one loss, and it was just a two-point game between those two when they played a few weeks back. So that's an, another uh, close one to watch for as we go down the stretch. Yeah, I believe their rematch is later this week at Gaylord St. Mary. So that will likely then... Help determine that. Yeah, uh, tomorrow, uh, Tuesday. Tuesday they play. Do they have? Do those two teams have the ability to go far in the postseason? Uh, I caught the uh, several quarters of their first game. I know J- Jimmy James Cook was in attendance for that one as well. Um, and yeah. Jimmy James Cook. <laughs> He wanted one, right? I know he wanted one. Uh, yeah, somehow I forgot that at the beginning of the show. I, I must be slipping here. Something's wrong with me. That's just proof that I listen to the podcast every week. I'm a, I'm a loyal follower. In years past, they've been in the same district. I think they're in a separate district this year, too. So both have a great opportunity to move on to the second weekend of, of girls' tournament play, which, uh, you know, I'm not saying they wouldn't want to run into each other in the, in the district tournament, but that gives them a chance to kind of meet up in a dream matchup in the regional round as opposed to years past, where one of them usually has to bow out early. And that kind of takes us back to the our conversation with the Northwest uh, conference for girls, even though Glen Lake and Kingsley are, are, you know, the top two teams in that conference, even if Kingsley were to, uh, beat Glen Lake, uh, a second time, you know, I don't think that hurts either the Lakers, uh, or it doesn't hurt the Lakers chances. And obviously it doesn't hurt the Stags chances either. Them being class, uh, B and class C teams. I, I think both of those teams, uh, could both reach, uh, Calvin this year, uh, make final four appearances 
even though one may, uh, even though one is going to shake out a little higher than the other by the season's end. Well, since you went back to the Northwest, I'm going back to the Ski Valley. Bel Air's got Lexi Nepoth. She's a, you know, she's an elite player. Gaylord St. Mary has Alex Hunter. Do they have other depth? I know that we've seen a lot from some of the other players on Gaylord St. Mary this year. Yeah, uh, Livy Jeffers is a great talent. Avery Bebel is an amazing guard that they have. I mean, they got to have one of the best girl backcourts in the entire region between Bebel and Hunter. Um, they're just efficient. You can see, uh, you know, I've caught them against Bel Air. I saw them play Central Lake last week, and they just, they just know what they're doing. They're comfortable, and they're smooth, and everything makes sense. So even with a coaching switch, they, they switched head coaches from last year, a year they made the uh, – Oh, no, I think they got upset by Frankfurt last year. But two years ago, I believe they were in the state quarterfinals. So they've had kind of this group around for a while and made deep runs, and they're still being productive this year, even with the coaching switch. Uh, but, you know, senior leaders dictate a lot of that, and that's that's what they're doing. On the boys' side of the uh, of the Big North Conference, you've got Petoskey in the lead there. Are we surprised by West not really – uh, performing a, as well as they they should, they've got some talented players on there, and I expected them to be a lot more competitive in in the uh, in the Big North Conference. Well, I I was I caught the they started late, so I had a lot of games on Friday after I missed you in Charlotte, but I caught the first quarter of Petoskey West, and you can just tell oh, Petoskey's just so much bigger. Ryan Hayes is the biggest guy on the floor, but Petoskey at every other position outsizes everybody on West's team, and that's not to say you can't win a basketball game, obviously Mickey Barrientos is going to give you a chance to win any game with his playmaking ability, and Petoskey needed a game-winning shot right at the end there, but uh, they returned a lot of names from a year ago, and you can tell they're they're comfortable with what they're doing, just like all these league leaders across all the rest of the conferences are, so I'm not surprised to see Petoskey here, and, and with West, I think it's just a case where uh, how many, they have four conference losses now? And yeah, they're two and four. Two and four. So they've lost two to Petoskey. They lost to Central in that close game. Lost to Cadillac. And lost to Cadillac. So it just shows, you know, right behind Petoskey's obviously head and shoulders above everybody right now, but everybody kind of in that conference is going to give you a, a tough out, and, and West just hasn't had an answer for it yet. Yeah, the good news for West, and I mean, it seems to kind of be a pattern uh, for the Titans in recent years. You know, they, they drop some tough games during the regular season. Um, but they find a way once they get to district playoffs to kind of turn things around. And, um, you know, as Brendan just mentioned, with the talent they have, you know, even though they're sitting in fifth out of six teams in the Big North, I, I wouldn't be shocked at all that once playoff time comes, if they find a way to rattle off two, three wins in the playoffs. Um, the, the, the talent's there. Um, you got guys who can dominate their positions Harrison you mentioned Barry Antos and obviously Ryan Hayes and you know the, the losses that they've had uh, I was at the first game that the home game that West lost to Petoskey and I mean that one was close throughout on the road at Petoskey on uh, Saturday West had a big first half lead and Petoskey hit a three with like 30 seconds left to tie it up and then West thought they were going to have a shot to win it and turned it over and Petoskey won on a putback on a buzzer beater. So it's just kind of the, the way those games are falling. And then, you know, they lost to Traverse city central by a point after they were leading in the second half of that one. So, you know, I just, they, they haven't had a lot of luck this far and they just maybe have to figure out a little more, uh, how to, how to close out games. And uh, if they can do that over the next couple of weeks, like I said, I'm, I'm not going to be shocked at all. If a, 
a little bit of a disappointing regular season turns into another strong postseason run. I think you can tell just how much they miss Nandy Lacusa because he was, um, you know, he was that kid with swagger. He had size and he was a very physical player. And I think you can, you know, if they still had him, that's that's a different. There's another wing player that yeah. really could create his own shot and uh, yeah, make something happen offensively. Well, we're gonna have to see what happens for the rest of the season. It should be uh, one hell of a season down the stretch. It's almost done. Only a few more weeks, really. Yeah, which is in, in, insane to think about, but it we've been going since early December, and now we're going to be moving into late February and March and expecting more exciting basketball here in northern Michigan. All right, speaking of basketball, obviously, uh, as I said, we've got uh, an interview, one-on-one interview that I did with the MHSAA's John Johnson, so why don't we take a listen to that right now. All right, it's my pleasure now to welcome in MHSAA Director of Broadcast Properties and longtime spokesman John Johnson. Thank you so much for coming on, John. I really appreciate it. Hey, Brendan. It's a pleasure to be here today. Okay, so first question for you. We're going to kind of dive into the Kithier thing without actually diving into the Thomas Kithier saga. Um, and I know you can't discuss details, but news broke last week that Thomas Kithier and his legal team had dropped the case against the MHSAA. When we did a bit of a pre-interview last week, you said that's not necessarily the case. Is there a way that you can kind of clear that up for the listeners without getting too much or breaking uh, legal confidentiality? Well, the uh, litigation is still live as we talk here at 2 o'clock on a Monday afternoon. And so it does limit me a little bit. But the uh, thing that we're waiting for is for a motion that we made uh, with the court to dismiss the uh, case with prejudice, Uh, meaning that uh, the case could not be brought back in any way, shape, or form uh, again. And so as far as we're concerned, uh, you know, right now we're waiting on the judge. So getting into the the rule itself, uh, when and why was it was the athletically motivated transfer or, or the, uh, the barring of that put in place? Well, it's a rule that was uh, that was put in 25 years ago, uh, and at the time, 75% of our schools wanted it. It was something to try to stem what was seen even at that time as uh, something that needed to be done to help stop the uh, you know the athletically motivated movement uh, that we know takes place uh, from school to school, and uh, what it did was was it created a rule where if a student transfers from uh, one school to another, doesn't meet one of the 15 exceptions uh, to the transfer rule, and is required to sit out a semester before becoming eligible, uh, the school that is losing the youngster has 40 days to say, hey, this is an athletically motivated transfer. And then the process begins by which uh, the school that's losing uh, the kid makes its case, and the other side then gets a chance to uh, make its case, and then uh, the executive director then you know, renders a decision based on that. And as we saw in the Kithier case, it's one that can be appealed and did go back to our uh, executive committee. Uh, for further review, and it upheld the uh, executive director's decision. And so now, as we fast forward uh, to today, you know, this is a rule that uh, probably is is you know we we get inquiries probably a handful of times 
every year, and about almost half the time, it's uh, it's proven to be an athletically motivated transfer, and so the youngster has to sit out um, a year uh, as a result. And uh, so, you know, that's where we stand with the rule from then to now. Uh, I don't know if you have the list in front of you or have the list reminded or um, or have the list uh, uh, in your memory, but can you name some of the 15 exceptions that uh, would be okay? Well, the most common of which is, you know, move from A to B with the people with whom you've been living. And then a uh, very uh, common uh, waiver uh, we, um, exception to that then also is if you were to move from uh, one uh, parent to the other in a divorce situation, um, if a student would marry, uh, if a student would move on because their school ceases uh, to operate. And uh, in the Kithier case, again, you had one of those exceptions that was being sought was for an 18-year-old moving on his or her own. Uh, but that was one of those that required a sign-off by the school that um, was losing the youngster, and uh, in this case, the other school refused to sign off. So, you know, there's there's 15 different ones, and uh, it's something which you know has tried to grow and adapt to a degree as uh, you know as life gets more and more complicated, uh, and that's that's where we stand right now. Uh, the uh, the part of the rule that uh, references AAU or playing with someone at that school or playing under a coach that they've been coached by in AAU. Could you kind of uh, explain that one to me? If, if that is the case, as it was in, in the Kithier case, is making that decision that it's athletically motivated a lot easier? Well, it's one of the things that's in black and white, uh, and it's something that you can point to uh, in the handbook. Uh, there's seven uh, points under uh, transfer for athletic reasons, and this is number seven. Uh, the student seeks to participate with teammates or coaches with whom he or she had participated in non-school uh, competition during the uh, previous 12 months. And so that was the uh, you know that was the uh, direct connection uh, that was in play uh, as far as the handbook was concerned. And again, I again I'm going to ask this question and feel free not to answer it. Um, it okay. It was just it was one of the one of the things that was brought up uh, last week when I talked to Kithier's lawyers. And, and again, I know you probably can't talk specifics, but I just wanted to ask this question anyway. But uh, sure. they said they told me that you did not interview Kithier or Foster lawyer about uh, the athletically motivated transfer. Is that true? And if you don't want to answer it, just tell me. What happens is whenever there is an investigation uh, of, an, of, uh, of, of any kind, we work with the school administration. It's up to the school administration to gather the information uh, from the people that are at that affected at that end. So everything has to flow through the school. That's who we we work for as an association of schools. And so, uh, as far as you know, the process the process was followed properly. So athletically motivated transfers are prohibited, obviously, as we're talking about that now. What about uh, academic and other non-sports motivated transfers, arts, theater? Are, are those prohibited or, or not? Well, those don't follow under the uh, umbrella of the uh, Michigan High School Athletic Association. Okay, that makes unlike, sense. Unlike some other states, though, uh, Illinois is an example. Uh, Illinois is a athletics and an activities association. 
where they have some music, they have some drama. I can't say how the eligibility rules, uh, you know, come into play down there uh, on a kid's uh, you know, arts, for example, as opposed to uh, athletics. But uh, but uh, you know, if a kid is in participate is participating in other activities, you know, God bless him or God bless her. You know, that's part of the athletic experience. But the rules apply for athletics, and they're designed to try to maintain as level a playing field as we possibly can have. Because unlike the arts, unlike band, we have competitive situations with schools playing schools, and so you have to have something that's common between school. A, even if it's uh, in the Upper Peninsula at the far west end, and if it's somebody down around the Toledo area. If the rule was to be abolished, and again, hypothetically, what do you see as the ramifications of that? Well, you know, we have a lot of people who say we kind of have free agency right now in uh, in some regards with the transfer rule. Uh, we've just gone through a period of time here on the semester change where kids who have played a fall sport, uh, there's been a lot of movement for kids who want to seek so-called greener pastures uh, to go to another school, not lose any eligibility, and be immediately eligible for their fall sport. But if it was, uh, you know, if it was wide open, say if it was like Florida, you know, wherever you're sitting on the first day of school is uh, is where you're eligible. You know, you can see some things like, uh, you know, what the Miami Heat did several years ago with LeBron and D-Wade and some other guys. Hey, let's put together the best possible team that we can, you know, Golden State Warriors. Let's, let's, let's all get together at, at School X. And if you didn't have anything to stop that from happening, you know that would upset the balance, and you know think about the other side of it. If I'm uh, if I'm if I'm at um, if I'm at Elk Rapids, and all of a sudden five kids move in from Traverse City Central and Traverse City West because they want to play at Elk Rapids, uh, and I'm an Elk Rapids parent, and they're just placing my kid who's been in the program forever. So you can't just think about the competitive equity uh, vis-a-vis schools. You have to think about what does that do to upset uh, the balance of the community, uh, to have outsiders move in, and yeah, you've got a super team, but now what happens to all the kids you know, who grew up playing together who have suddenly been displaced? So if something like that happens and the school doesn't issue a complaint, uh, we had a situation up here. I'm not going to give you any details about that because... Uh, you know, the way that it went down, but there was a, a soccer player who transferred from one school to uh, another because he had played with some of those kids growing up. Uh, if the school doesn't issue a complaint, does the MHSAA look into it, or are you guys unaware of what happens? We're very much like the NCAA in that regard. We're com- it's a complaint-based system. And right, wrong, or indifferent, uh, that's that's what schools have said that they wanted. It would be very difficult to track all of these uh, transfers that are taking place, many of whom we never get we never get calls about because uh, the kids either going to set for a semester, and there's no paperwork required when that happens, uh, or it meets one of the exceptions, and we never hear about it. Uh, so if you think of the hundreds of kids that transfer from A to B every year and have some period of eligibility, if there was a, if all of those kids had to be processed, and in some states they do, 
you'd have to have a handful of uh, staff members here that would do nothing more than uh, you know process uh, transfers, and that would place an ordinance burden on our schools uh, to have to say, okay, we got a transfer here, we got to report that to the MHSAA office. You know, at a time when, uh, you know, schools are kind of swamped as it is administratively, you know, that's one more thing uh, that they would uh, have to do. But, again, we're member-driven. If that's what schools wanted, then uh, that's the direction that the association would take. Okay. The Kithier case obviously has gotten statewide attention and, and national attention as well with the Associated Press picking up on the uh, on the on the story what kind of feedback have has the MHSA have you gotten in, in regard to this to this story uh, from our schools you know you have your schools out there which expect the rules to be followed and it's tough when the shoe is on your foot but um, we've received a lot of feedback from schools that uh, were pleased that the rule was applied the way it was meant to be applied granted the optics if you uh, you know listen to some people were not you know were not the greatest because there were those who talked about why is Dakota doing this when it has been the recipient of uh, of transfers well that's because the other school didn't say anything and uh, you know and so it exercised its option as a member to make this uh, allegation and uh, even amongst those um, transfers that I just talked about as we wrap up uh, you know you know from one semester to another we're already receiving calls about uh, athletically motivated transfers that we'll have to process here in the uh, in the days ahead. So you know the schools, for the most part, uh, were kind of a silent majority. Uh, they were uh, pleased to see that the uh, system, the way they set it up, works. Do you consider it unfortunate, or how do you feel about students, student athletes that are caught up in the middle of this? Well, these things are going to happen, right, wrong, or indifferent. If rules are broken, you know, one of the things that school sports teaches us is that there is a framework around a lot of things in life. And when you don't follow the rules, whether it's between the lines of a basketball game or if it's eligibility, and that could be grades, it could be residency, it could be transfers, you know, that there has to be consequences for rules being broken. And they're hard, hard lessons to learn. And so, you know, those are some of the uh, toughest things because there's no joy taken uh, when when some of this stuff happens. But schools expect that the uh, office staff is going to advocate for what they want and to enforce the rules that they have created because it's not it's not John Johnson's or Jack Roberts or Tom Ration's decision to enforce any of these rules. Ultimately, it was the school's uh, board of control itself, you know, the executive committee and the representative council, their peers that made this decision. And so it makes it tough, but you know what? Every day, schools have to enforce rules of all kinds. 
within their buildings. Athletics, because of its high profile, uh, you know, it takes on it, it takes on a different look. And uh, you have these are things though that you have to accept. These are this is this is just part of uh, this is just part of life. I right. mean, you get a speeding ticket, you get a speeding ticket, <laughs> uh, and the rules get broken. Somehow there has to be consequences. Gotcha. If the athlete in question transfers and then is ruled uh, academically, uh, or I'm sorry, athletically ineligible, can that athlete then return to the school from which from which he transferred and play then? Once that ruling was, once a ruling is made, then then no, there okay. is you know you're you're, you're ineligible. Uh, had had uh, if an athlete were to say move from A to B during the summer and say I'm going to go to school B now, uh, but at the very last second went back to school A. Then he would still be he would still be eligible at uh, school A if he was going to be ineligible at school B. But uh, but no once a, once a uh, once a situation has been analyzed and it's been determined uh, because of these circumstances that the youngster is ineligible they remain ineligible no matter where they would land. Okay, uh, with all this going on and this is my final question for you. Uh, are there considerations of making changes to the rules or, or to those rules to uh, to see if there can be any improvement, or do you feel comfortable with the way the rule is right now? Well, we've been surveying our schools over the past year because uh, the transfer rule is a real hot-button topic, not just in Michigan, but nationally. It's probably uh, one of the biggest things now that state associations talk about uh, with each other. You know, it's reaching epidemic proportions because of kids trying to have mobility to try to uh, improve their lot, usually athletically. And our most recent survey of our schools 80% of our schools want tougher transfer rules with longer periods uh, of ineligibility uh, than what we have right now. If, if you were to put everything onto a continuum and say, okay, where does Michigan rank? Uh, we actually rank right now towards the more lenient side uh, of our transfer rules in a lot of states. Uh, around the country. But what we've got going on right here now, Brendan, is you've got our schools which say we've got to cut off all this free agency. They're clamoring for it. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you have people who say, well, under schools of choice, you should be able to do anything, including athletics. Uh, and then you have the state association that's the fulcrum of it. <laughs> you know, we're trying to find out how, where can we keep this, uh, keep this balance. But we're member-driven. We'll continue to be member-driven. And, uh, you know, as we continue our conversations with schools, we'll try to find what we can do to, uh, you know, give the schools what they want. And then we'll do everything that we can do to help them enforce it because it's their rules. Oh, John, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on. You cleared up a lot of stuff that I wasn't aware of and put things in perspective that I didn't have before. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking the time. Hey, Brendan, it was a pleasure. Well, we could do it again on another topic sometime, I hope, maybe about officials or something like that. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks again. Thanks. 
why don't we get into the Get Around Hall of Fame now and induct another athlete into the Hall of Fame. Uh, Harrison, why don't you go ahead and start with uh, a great player and a great performance from Grand Traverse Academy. Yeah, I took dibs on uh, Megan Sharpenberg on Sunday night uh, when I was reading over the stats from a week ago. and I, I don't have the Friday stats or Thursday stats. Whenever they played their second game of the week, I don't have that in front of me. But in a win over Bear Lake last Tuesday, 26 points, 20 rebounds, 9 steals, 7 assists. I, I mean, she's really shy of a triple-double. She's Pretty much shy of a quadruple double, which is almost unheard of uh, up here. So impressive stuff like that. I mean, that's a no-brainer for me. And uh, I even tried to venture out to their game on Thursday at Lake Luna St. Mary, and show up at the school and the building's closed. And I look on the website, and they were cl- they were uh, postponed for that night. So I did not get to see Sharpenberg in, in person last week, but that was in the in the works. Either way, doesn't. Stop me from uh, putting her up for this week's award with the, those amazing stats. Hey, man, that's what you get for not looking at the schedule or, or making... I think it changed that date. Or, well, I'm not calling anybody out. You know, or, should... or at least, you know, you got you, you to gotta know those things. You got to know when games Yeah, but Brendan, start Brendan at, at, at least Harrison showed up on time. Yeah, yes. Yes, he <laughs> did. I, I will... That is a good point. We, and plus, we all know covering basketball up here, those schedules with snow days and whatnot and lately flu illnesses that are spreading the schools, those schedules change on a daily, almost hourly basis, it seems. so. Yeah, the flu's gross, it Really is. As, as Brett can Protect probably yourself. attest to at this point. So That's why we didn't want him to come in. We were happy that he can call in, in instead of, because <laughs> I'm pretty sure we cannot get the flu virus through the phone. I, I think that's, I don't think that's how it works. We'll get tested afterwards, just in case. Brett, who, are, uh, who do you have for Athlete of the Week? All right, well, I might be putting myself at a little bit of a disadvantage here because um, we've never done this before, but I couldn't help but alter the category a little bit and put up the entire Charlevoix girls basketball team just because, and we covered it at the beginning of the podcast, how amazing uh, that comeback was. Um, you really don't hear of winning uh, after trailing by double digits with a minute and 13 seconds to play at any level, and for them to come back and do so. And I find it even more impressive that they did it in regulation and not just you know tie it up and then force overtime and win. And so many players played a key role in that. Olivia Jekyll hit the tying three, Natalie Nesberg with the winning layup, and uh, Rachel Nesberg, Abby Cunningham, Lee Stuck, every all the, the rest of the Raiders. I mean, that's completely a team effort. And you know, a, a big shout out to uh, Coach Grunch too. Just you know, keeping her team focused and feeling like they still had a chance to win at that point. Because I don't think many teams facing that type of a deficit in that t- type of time constraint are going to feel uh, too positive about their. Uh, chances. What's interesting about those final 73 seconds, and I say 73 seconds because it sounds a lot cooler than a minute 13, but uh, when I talked to Liz Grunch, uh, as you said, the head coach of Charlevoix, uh, Elise Stuck barely touched the ball in that one, and she didn't score any points. So, yeah, that was all Abby Cunningham and Rachel Nesberg, Olivia Jekyll, and, and then Natalie Nesberg. I considered putting Natalie Nesberg up for Athlete of the Week because she had uh, the game-winning shot, and that game-winning shot actually was uh, half of her points because she had four on the night. She just had four points, but she had the biggest make and the two biggest points of the game. I'd, I'd say we can factor that in as at least a nomination. So. Yeah, it's uh, it would be have... 
We can. Call I don't know how you're gonna tag all those girls in the Twitter posts. Well, we have 280 characters now, oh, so that's okay. We're fine. So that's all good. I mean, I guess it could be like we could do like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame does and induct an entire. Band. I was gonna say if Elise is already in the Get Around Hall of Fame, does that void them out? Well, that's a that's actually she'd a good be a point. Two timer. I mean, I'm a five timer in the guest hosting <laughs> panel, but she would be a two timer in the get. Anyways, keep going. Well, uh, I'm putting up Kalkaska's Mackenzie Wilkinson. She had uh, 23 points, 12 boards, four assists, and four steals in a 62 to 33 win over Boyne City. Uh, we've got a lot of good candidates. Sharpenberg, obviously, what she did is it was was incredible. Brett, I think you're right on with uh, with Charlevoix making that comeback in, in a minute 13. Uh, I mean, a 13-0 run o- over that time period to to win that game. That just doesn't happen. And it's, it's Tracy McGrady-like it's, stuff. And it's not supposed to happen, honestly. No. Reggie Miller. All right, so let's go with with some of the votes. I, I'm torn between Sharpenberg and the Charlevoix team. I'll tell you that. Sharpenboy? Sharp, you, like to, you sharp. like to combine them. So. Did I say sharpen boy? No, I was combining them like you used to do oh, with yes. football teams. So yes. I was trying to be corny. I got you. you know. It took me a while to <laughs> I'm not that It's been quick. a while since football. I'm not that quick on the uptake. Brett, who are you who are you voting for? I like I like the team vote. We've never done that before, but I don't think we've ever had a circumstance quite like this that warranted it. Right. We did have the West Girls golf team, which had won a state championship and we didn't put that entire team in, but yeah, it's, I, I don't know. Harrison, go with yours, and then I'll be the deciding factor. You won't have to be a deciding factor. Brett has swayed me in his uh, 73 seconds spent talking about the 73-second comeback. Uh, <laughs> I, am, I am convinced. Sharpenberg's stat line is really remarkable. Bear Lake is having a great season for girls' basketball, too, so uh, that, that's very impressive to know. And, but judging by what Megan's doing with the Mustangs, she's, she's going to be in the running for this for several weeks to come. I doubt the Charlevoix team, unless they maybe win a state title down the stretch here, I uh, doubt the entire team would have a chance to be up for get around Hall of Fame, at least for something as remarkable as this. So I, I will vote Raiders in this one as well. All right, well, I'm going to give it to Megan Sharpenberg just because of her line since it's already decided that it will be the Charlevoix Raiders girls basketball team getting in. A first here on the get around as we... As we go a little Rock and Roll Hall of Fame here and induct an entire team. So congratulations to the girls basketball team from Charlevoix on your induction into the Get Around Hall of Fame, the highest honor of sports in northern Michigan. And in case they were wondering, their 73 seconds was probably a lot more exciting than the 73 seconds we spent talking about it. Well, we spent a lot more than 73 (laughs) seconds. It was almost, I'm pretty sure it was 73 minutes, but whatever. Moving on now to the trifecta as we wrap up the show, as we always do in this fashion. And with the Super Bowl happening Sunday in what was one one of the best Super Bowls that I've seen, uh, I would say. I was, At least I, as good as last year's. Yeah, I was sitting here in the offices of the Traverse City Record Eagle, and I was getting paid to watch the Super Bowl, which was, paid as well. which was really nice, yeah. and I appreciated that. And... Yeah, just an incredible game between Philadelphia and New England. Uh, So we're going to get into the greatest football players of all time, and so many people have called Tom Brady the GOAT. And when you look at his performance last night, even though the Patriots lost, he threw for 505 yards, which is just an absurd performance, and three touchdowns and no interceptions. I know it was a loss. Did have a fumble. But but he did have a he did have a drop. Yes, <laughs> and a drop. Yes, <laughs> he had a drop. Yeah. Two big miscues that probably kept him up all night. 
All right, so who's better, Nick Foles or Tom Brady? I mean, last night, even last night, Foles wasn't better than Tom Brady. He just no, I, no, I, but I he said, was, but he was excellent. Oh, he was I, I don't, don't want to. Yes, Tom Brady was better last night, but Foles was still excellent. I think Foles is great. I think that team is that team though because of Doug Peterson. It sounds like he's shook up a lot of what they do. Now their style of play isn't by any means formulaic, but they will do what they have to do, like that uh, crucial third down play to Ertz to, to get it there, and they called that within like a few seconds. They didn't take a timeout, and that was the biggest play of the game at the time. Or the fourth down right before halftime. That was probably one of the coolest plays I've ever seen. Yeah, I, they had no problem going for it. There, there was a lot of courage they there. Had no, they felt they had nothing to lose. Exactly. They were playing with house money. And, and even that's a though, fun team to watch. And that was super refreshing because so many coaches, I mean, I think actually all other 31, none of the other 31 coaches would have made any of those play calls that Doug Peterson made last night. I think he's no the way. only one. Maybe in the NFC title game like they did against Minnesota, but not in the Super Bowl against Brady and Belichick. No way. No, I mean, and I've, as I've said, I've kind of boycotted the NFL over the last couple of years, but I couldn't help but watch that game because there was there was a lot of intrigue. Philadelphia going for their first Super Bowl win. It wasn't their first NFL championship, but it was their first Super Bowl win. Uh, and then you've got, as we've seen, the the dynasty that is the New England Patriots. Did either of you guys catch Tom Brady's post game conference? Because very very brief of moments it. of it. Good lord! It's uh, if I was a sports writer covering that, I'd be like, Tom, can you can you give me a usable quote, anything at all? It was. He hey, was, at least he showed up for his post game press conference. True, but he was. <laughs> it, it was. Cameron it was. Uh, it was pretty brutal. Uh, he, but you could tell he was just upset. Poor guy only has how many rings? Four. Five. Four, five. Five. Yeah. Five. And you could kind of tell that in the way he was talking. It's like, well, this sucks. Well, see you next year. <laughs> Guess we'll just. Well, that's why I was kind of down on this game in the first place. Uh, when New England came back against Jacksonville in the AFC Championship game, I just felt like, you know, it set everything up for Tom Brady to win his sixth ring. And I, I just had the feeling like, you know, he's already got five more than anybody else. Six, whether he gets it or not, doesn't change his legacy at all. So. The only way the Super Bowl was going to be a good game to me was if Philadelphia won. So I'm very thankful uh, for that, and and thankful to be wrong because I just so when New England went up 38 to 33, uh, even at that point with over two minutes to go, and I believe the Patriots still had a timeout. I was like, all right, well this just sets up perfectly. Brady another miraculous game-winning drive in the final two minutes. And I mean, partly of that was because Philly missed the two-point conversion. If they had made it, maybe I'd have felt a little differently. But I mean, Graham gets the only sack of the game, knocks the ball away, and wow, did change did things change quickly? No, oh, but come uh, on, but even even that last play, we talk about how miraculous the New England. Oh yeah, the, are. the hail mary. I mean, it, it looked like Gronk was in good position. Well, not only I was, that, I was seeing shades of Aaron Rodgers to Richard Rodgers all over again. Not only that, but Brady escapes what would have been the the game-ending, game-winning sack. And he does that. He ducks, and he gets out in the open space, and he launches it, and I'm going, we're going to overtime because they're scoring a touchdown here, and they're going to get that two-point conversion, and I'm going to be sitting here in the office until 1.30 as we we try to get this game in. But, yeah, I just – you can never, ever count that team out. And you won't. All right, so where does Brady rank on our list of, of goats? Is he in the top five at least? Yes. It has to be, yeah. All right, so Brett... He's, al- he's already the greatest quarterback of all time, and I begrudgingly 
award him that title. Um, <laughs> I'm fine. But with that. Uh, and I, I think if he'd have won his sixth, maybe maybe I, okay, maybe that's where his legacy would have grown a little bit. Maybe he would have been considered the greatest football player of all time had he won that yesterday. But uh, that, he, he's in my. I had a short list of four. He's in that short list of four, but he's not. He's not going to be who I name the greatest player of all time. But he really couldn't have done anything else, right? Oh no, not not at all. Well, I mean, he could have caught that pass, yeah. and he could have not fumbled. <laughs> Was his wife Giselle upset with him for not catching his pass? <laughs> yeah, didn't she make a comment after the last Super Bowl they lost well, about how Tom, yeah. Tom Brady can't catch the passes for them? I catch him, yep. <laughs> that was perfect. Uh, and Foles caught his a little touchdown ca- pass. So that's right. That's a little karmic. That's that's kind of funny. All right. So Brett, your list, your short list. Okay. So my short list, and I kind of like how it um, bridges eras a little bit. So I've got running back Jim Brown for Cleveland, who played from '57 to '65. He's eight. He was a first team All Pro all eight years of his career. Five time MVP. Ran for over twelve thousand yards, hundred touchdowns, and. Um, you know, in an era where all you expected teams to do is run, that is as dominant a player as you could possibly have. I've got Lawrence Taylor, New York Giants linebacker from 81 to 93. Again, he was an eight-time first-team All-Pro, 132 sack, 132 and a half sacks. And then uh, just crazy, I mean, he was an MVP as a defensive player. And in his rookie year, he was rookie and defensive player of the year in the same season, which is just absurd. And I'm not sure there's been a more feared defensive player on the field, just ask Joe Theismann, uh, than that Lawrence is, Taylor. Yes. It's pronounced Theismann. <laughs> it really is. It's pronounced Theismann, and it's been changed because of the name. He now pronounces it Theismann. Well, um, at least that's what my dad tells me. I think, yeah, your dad might be lying. But, I mean, you got to look at Dick, Dick Butkus was one hell of a defensive mm-hmm. player. Ray Lewis, obviously, he was, he was mm-hmm. one hell of a – but, yeah, maybe he's, he's not up in, in there with the – I have a defensive player to contribute to the list. All right, go for it then. And I'm surprised Brett didn't come up with it since he's a, a Packer legend. Reggie White. White. A lot of big he things. was very close. Eagles, Packers, won a Super Bowl with the Packers. Uh, if he's not one of the best, or if he's not the best, he's one of the best. And uh, this is coming from a, a guy who's watched the Lions, so I've not been a huge fan of Reggie White. But uh, it, The Minister of Defense. The impact he made had, on multiple teams for multiple years. Had a, he's got to be up there. Had a, had a big poster of him in my room growing up, for sure. And now you've got a fat head of who? J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt. Man of the year, baby. All right, speaking of you, Harrison, you mentioned the Lions. I got Barry Sanders on my list. If he doesn't retire early, is he the best of all time? Harrison's kind of throwing up his hands and shrugging his shoulders. You can't, you can't say. Depends, I mean, would he go somewhere else, or was he going to stay in the Lions the whole time? Because clearly evidence shows that he wasn't. nobody in Detroit can run the ball anywhere. So who's to say? Barry was the best to do that. And, uh, you know, it's kind of fitting that we see Calvin Johnson 15 years later do something very similar. <laughs> and here we are, the Lions, two of the best Lions players we've ever seen. And then Gronk talked early. about last or last night uh, calling it Well, I, I hate reporters that do that right after uh, the biggest game of the year and they come up short in the last play. And like, so are you, you going to retire? Like, well, no, I didn't just decide that as I was walking off the field miserable that I screwed up that play. Like, no, I'm going to take some time to think about it. Well, uh, since I am from Chicago, I've got uh, sweetness on my list, Walter Payton. Uh, you know, he had 13 seasons, uh, nine-time Pro Bowler. Uh, he had, at one point, holding records for career rushing yards, touchdowns, carries, yards from scrimmage, all-purpose yards, and a bunch of other stuff. 
Uh, Joe Montana, obviously, uh, what he did with the 49ers, winning four Super Bowls, uh, and he was named Super Bowl MVP three times. That was He was the first to do that. Barry Sanders, obviously, I've got him on there. And then uh, I would say that my top player of all time would be Jerry Rice. He had 20 seasons in his belt. He, you know, most major statistical categories for wide receivers at one point, receptions, touchdown receptions, receiving yards. Uh, once the leader of total yards and touchdowns in a season, 13-time Pro Bowler, All-Pro a dozen times, three so- Super Bowls, uh, and then he holds more than 100 NFL records, and a lot of those by a wide margin. Yeah, he, he's my choice too, Brendan. And the crazy thing too is even though his career extended to 2004, I mean, when he came in as a rookie and was playing mid-'80s through the early-'90s, you're still talking about a time when defensive backs can put their hands all over the wide receiver and uh, you know, still had some of the advantages that wide receivers don't have today. I can't even imagine the numbers that Rice would have put up if he played in today's game versus you know, the first 10 to 15 years of his career. It would have just been absurd. He, he literally, literally would have been unguardable. Wow, sounds like I don't even have to vote. You guys got Jerry Rice. No, I mean I'll vote Tom Brady. But you're gonna go with Tom Brady. I I think it's tough to give the greatest player of all time to a guy who touches the ball on I don't know how many percent of percentage of possessions. Uh, obviously, he's the best wide receiver. There's no doubt about that. And he's I, still at over 1,500 catches. No, I I I think you guys put up great arguments, and between the three of us, Brett, we will probably take your advice more than any of us because Brett and I watch about. Uh, <laughs> Two football games a year, one being last night. So, All right, in their prime, let's put Tom Brady, Jerry Rice, and Barry Sanders all on the same team. Do they win? That's fun. Do, do, do they win? <laughs> any, an let's, all-Madden team? You know, let's put uh, Reggie White and uh, LT. LT, Ray Lewis, Dick Butkus all in their prime uh, on oh, the defensive Buckus. side. Do the, uh, does that team go 16-0 and for like four straight years or 17-0 and or whatever, that, whatever it is to win the Super Bowl? Probably. Yeah, yeah, that would be as fun. As they're not greedy. That's, that Who's be, the coach? That would be great to play that on Madden. I would have so much fun doing that, putting that team together. All right, well, good stuff. Harrison, thank you so much for filling in for Jimmy James Cook. I really appreciate it. Brett, thanks a lot for calling in from home, and I'm hoping that you and your wife and your young daughter are feeling better. Thank you so much to our listeners for once again tuning in to episode 21 of the Get Around Podcast. Make sure that you come back next week when we will have more good stuff for you. Have a good week. Mm-hmm.